0: You're play. But if you want to stay shape, well, you better, huh? Gym
1: Wits. Gym That's right,
2: man. Wits. Welcome to the Gym Wits Podcast. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic. And we are the Jim Wits. So I learned a valuable lesson
0: that, that I've often taught myself in the past. Um, but sometimes, you know, it, it never takes one time to, to, to reinforce a lesson. You gotta burn your hand a couple times. So I, um... I, I bought a, a big bag of chips that I said I wasn't going to eat the whole bag uh, when I brought it with me to work, and I ate the whole bag. So the the, the moral of the story is, don't trust yourself. <laughs> To not eat the whole yeah. huge bag of chips, just put a take a little baggie and put a small portion in there, or else you will eat the full yeah, bag that,
2: of chips. Yeah, that's a lesson I've I've learned <laughs> over and over. I just know, like it's I don't even try to convince myself otherwise. It's like if I if I buy any size of anything, I just expect that I'm going to eat the whole thing, uh, and yeah. and that's that. It's an interesting
1: and, concept, and, and I felt
2: terrible for eating the full bag
0: of chips, but I did.
2: So. Yeah. Just next time, I won't make that mistake. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's tough. You kind of, but you know yourself, so you kind of have to know, like you you know your limits, you know what you're capable of, and you know what to what to do to kind of, I guess, avoid those those situations. So, um, anyway. I'm in a rush, so <laughs> we're gonna get right to our our interview today. We actually, it, it's actually a really good interview. I know some people, um, you know, just looking at our numbers, it's interesting when we do things that are like not necessarily, you know, about losing fat or gaining muscle. We'll see definitely like a difference uh, versus like if it's you know, entrepreneurship or lose, you know, eating. You know snack healthy snack whatever it is like we definitely see a difference but um, but this is a really really interesting interview Especially if you're a fitness professional or if you're in any kind of business um, Really great advice as far as kind of getting started with you know starting a business, especially in fitness And I know we have a lot of trainers and fitness pros that are are, are listeners to the podcast So I d- highly recommend it um, even if you're somebody who kind of selectively chooses the episodes um, Definitely one of one of our favorite you know, interviews. I think we have, you know, definitely, I think a top five for me. So, so nice. definitely worth listening to. We had a really great time. Um, you're going to pronounce his name. Cause <laughs> I, what, what?
0: Yes, his name is Matthew Januzek, and he's awesome. And we're very excited for you guys to, to listen to this interview. So, here is our interview with Matthew. Hey, everyone. We are here with Matthew Januzek. How's everything, Matthew? Yeah, very good. Thank you very much. Nice. So <laughs> we were uh, we were a little worried about making sure that we had your name pronounced properly. So that's a Polish name?
1: It is. Come on. Show me how you're going to pronounce it now. Mm-hmm. I've got to test you. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I mentioned it
0: briefly. All right. Uh, let's see. Ryan, you want to give a, a, a whirl at this one? What? You, you want to try to pronounce last name properly? You mean uh, no? <laughs> All <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Januszek. Uh,
1: Jan yeah, that's it. Well done. Good, yeah. <laughs> All right, I, I <laughs> It's that. pretty simple. Right. It, the, the Z throws people, I guess. Yeah, you know, yeah, when yeah. you put a Z, a Z as you, as, as you would say in America, as I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: but I noticed that you have a uh, like a British accent.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm originally from England, nice. um, but living now in uh, sunny California. Oh, nice. Oh,
2: nice. How long have you been in California?
1: Just over a year, and, uh, and I'm enjoying it a lot.
0: Cool. Certainly probably um, uh, better weather than in many parts of England and certainly better than in New York, which we always complain about. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think New York's pretty similar similar uh-huh. to where, where we're from in the UK, but maybe it gets yeah. a bit colder in, in the winter from yeah. from what I've experienced.
2: Yeah, I should have a friend from the UK who um, – came in yesterday and he was basically saying, yeah, the weather right now is in New York at least is, is what it is in the UK, except he said it's a little colder right now in the UK, but still kind of dreary, raining. Yep. Right. No, yeah.
0: Great. Get used to it. That, that's that's uh, become a tradition. We always complain about it pretty much every episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so the first thing we always ask is, I guess also another tradition, is about your fitness background and how you got started with fitness.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I I, um, I, I I started. I had an interest when I was pretty young. Um, I, I, I guess thinking back, around about fifteen. So I, I wasn't particularly great or interested at school. So any any uh, opportunity I had to kind of be at home a little bit longer, I would. And um, and I remember when I was 15, I was roller skating, fell off my roller skates, uh, damaged my ligaments. And so I, I, I got a week off school, which was great. And I, I spent that week watching Pumping Iron. I, I think every day mm-hmm. I must have watched it about four or five times. And mm-hmm. I, I think that was a moment where I kind of realized that I wanted to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. I wanted to stand up on stage and be, and, and, and be Mr. Olympia. So I, I think that's probably my earliest memory of, of, um, of being inspired by fitness. And, uh, and then I'm, I, I managed to talk my parents into buying me for Christmas. A, I, I don't know if you, you've ever, you have them over here, but this sort of plastic red, uh, concrete filled dumbbells and disc set that, um, uh, did, do you, do you, do, do you have, did you have oh. those as a kid? <laughs> no, no, you didn't. <laughs> I'm had... showing my age now. <laughs>
0: There were, um, the, the, we just sort of had, um, if you bought your own dumbbells, they were just the sort of standard, uh, you know, with a weight set and then and the little, um, you know, and whatever sort of clips that you had. I think the big development was when they came out with those dumbbells that, that were part of the, the set. What do you call those? Where you could, like, just change the weight. They're sort of cubish.
2: Oh, the, right. the Power
0: Blocks? Yeah. The, the Power Blocks, yeah. That was sort of the big development. We were a little older by then. That's more recent, yeah. Yeah, that's been pretty well – yeah, a little more recent. So, yeah, yeah the big yeah. development so, for, for Ryan and I was was just joining a gym.
1: <laughs> right, so. yeah. So I, I, I had – my parents got me one of those, and um, nice. and I just started lifting in, in the garage. And uh, I had a I, I we had this uh, sort of – I remember my dad at the time was, was doing some – building uh, maintenance work and we had these it was like a six foot by four foot piece of ply wood and uh and i at the time they didn't buy me a bench they just bought me these uh, weights so I, I i remember having some paint pots that, you, that he was painting with i got four of those one on each corner and this six by four board and that was my bench and and every time i tried to do bench press or flies it i realized that the width of the board was wider than my elbow so it was always pretty uncomfortable to try and do any sort of flies or <laughs> or um yeah any 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 kind of lying stuff on there so i so i kind of built my uh built my gym uh, yes. very slowly from from our garage
0: yeah now people have it easy you could just get one of those like home <laughs> gyms or just go online and you have a million different exercise programs to choose from so but back then, yeah. you had to really work for it, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, we didn't we didn't have too much money when I was when I was younger, so we kind of had to had to sort of make stuff. That was really how we how we got by. <laughs> did, did you play sports
2: at that time too, or was it mostly kind of the weightlifting and bodybuilding for you?
1: No, I wasn't big into sports. We we did the normal stuff at school, which was uh, as you guys call. Soccer or football, which I I wasn't particularly good at, uh, basketball I I tended to like because it was inside and it was warm as opposed to uh, the the, the, the sports in England always used to happen, which was quite weird in in the winter. So, so rugby and and football was was always when it was raining, and then the athletics, which was quite nice, where you'd go out in the summer and do all your your sort of you know, you're running and and that kind of stuff. So, I I like the summer stuff, but not so much running in a wet and muddy field in in the winter. didn't really appeal to me. I can imagine.
0: So, and it's funny how many people cite Pumping Iron as their inspiration. That even it's 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 geez, almost fifty years old that documentary, and yet people are still it's it's still relevant in a, in a weird way.
1: Yeah, it is really. Um, I, I speak to a lot of people, and and I've 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 also heard that either Arnold Schwarzenegger or, or pumping iron um, inspired them to get into to, to some form of sort of sport or, or, or fitness or, or bodybuilding or whatever which is kind of the the direction I went into you know com- competing as a as a junior bodybuilder um, as a, as I sort of became a, a, a teenager but yeah I, I guess at his time you know bodybuilding was was probably very new it was, it was either aerobics on one side or, or bodybuilding on the other and i guess as a as a teenager it, there was the magazines and they're in the movies it was it was something that was very prevalent at the time i guess you could compare it to maybe like crossfit yeah, of, of yeah, today so. you know or, or ufc you know that that's the sort of body that everybody aspires to yeah. to have or to, or, yeah. or, or, or to look like so yeah interesting it's-
0: so I'm curious, what do you think of the, the bodybuilders of today, like someone like Phil Heath, as compared to uh, the sort of more older school, you know, 70s, 80s
1: bodybuilders? Yeah, for, I, I guess for me being, I, and I've not followed it as, as much recently as I did years ago, but I was I was always more the fan of the kind of Frank saying, look, in fact, yeah. I interviewed him myself a, a few months ago, and, and yeah. I, I think that's, that's more of a, a classic, a balanced, athletic type of physique. Um, I, I, I guess now it's, you know, it's, yeah, uh, it, it's kind, of, it's quite extreme, which I guess is, oh, yeah. is where it needs to go. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, it, it's right for certain people, but but for me, I, I, I guess, you know, being able to look good but but also perform, then you know, the more leaner physique is, is probably a lot more practical. I, I remember even when I was training and I wasn't that big, I was, um, but you know, you, you don't move around very quickly and you, 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 <laughs> yeah, you, are you, not got much movement in, in you when you, when you're that kind of size, I guess.
2: Do you think it'll ever rebound? Like, do you think we'll ever get to a point where we get back to like really focusing on the physique? Or is it one of those like you you can't put toothpaste back in the tube type situations where guys will just get bigger and bigger and more massive and it'll just kind of keep moving that direction?
1: I I think we're seeing a change. Um, I don't know what the federation's called, but certainly we, we see and we're involved a lot more in these in the kind of physique type of um competitions um where you know the the guys wear the sort of um what do you call them like the sort of swimming trunks the longer trunks and they're you know they're they're a lot slimmer and leaner so it's like you're certainly seeing that coming around you know how how successful and and popular the things like the the competitions for the really big people are I, i don't know but i i think if you look at what's happening you know trends if if you look at the Big sports that are out there that people see and are in the news all the time you know ufc i guess is 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 uh, extremely popular and if you look at the the physiques of people that do ufc or or even crossfit then i you know certainly in my experience those that if you ask somebody what would be their perfect body then that seems to be the type of shape that people want to have uh is, is is has been my experience anyway
2: mm, cool so now, so I guess getting to your kind of your own career as someone who kind of I guess grew up with heavily involved in fitness um, and, and bodybuilding and weightlifting. How did you make that transition, uh, you know, to fitness as a career?
1: Um, yeah, in, in, interesting question. So I, I was, um, as I said, I was always interested in fitness at, at a young age. Didn't particularly like. School, um, but the one thing that I did enjoy at school and the one qualification I got, and I'm not using this as an example that anyone should follow, and I certainly wouldn't recommend my children to do it. Um, I think it's important to, to do well, but I, 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 was more creative, and so I, the, the one exam I got was um, when I, was, I think I was about fifteen or sixteen, which was in what they called at the time woodwork and metalwork. And so I, I managed to, to get a load of old school chairs and desks and cut them to pieces and weld them together and create uh, a set of squat stands and, a, and an adjustable bench and 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 I yeah I I, I passed and left school as, as as soon as possible really once I got my qualification so so I think at a young, young age I realised I I, I, I kind of like making things and I like fitness and uh, and I guess I, I went on a journey to to, to find a way of Putting those things together, and um, and so I, I I worked in a in a dental business, which was for my grandfather's for a while, and I, I didn't really enjoy that, but it gave me a good understanding of of, of running a business and sales and marketing and you know, bringing in customers and looking after customers and. You know, working with people. Uh, and then in the evenings, I used to do what I kind of enjoyed, which I, I used to work in bars and nightclubs as uh, as what we call in England, a bouncer or a doorman. Yep. Um, and, and that allowed me to hang around the guys that used to be either owning gyms or working in gyms or competing. So I could, I could learn about what to eat and how to do my posing and different types of training and to get new training partners. So I I, I guess through my sort of teenage years, I, I I did a day job to, you know, earn some money, and then I did an evening job to earn some money. But but sort of, you know, combine that with um with, with my, my passion for, for fitness, and um and I I did, I did that I, I guess up until my early twenties, couldn't really find out what I wanted to do. But I, I guess when you're younger, you, in, in my experience, it was more about enjoying life and. Meeting girls and having fun and working out. So, what, what, more, what more is there to life than that? Sounds like part of my life as well. <laughs> um, and then, as I got into my twenties, I thought, you know, I need to, I, I need to do something. I, I need to do something in my life. And and I, I, I always sort of, you know, very close family uh, with with my uh, sort of my dad in particular. And we we always used to talk about looking for some business that we could. Set up with the family, some kind of family business. He he was working for a company and wanted to do something on his own, and I wanted to get into something that I felt I could, you know, th- throw myself into. And um, and I was in the gym one day, sit- sitting there on the on a corner of a. I remember it very clearly, sitting on a bench bench press, a flat bench, and just in between sets, and looking over to the left and. In, in the in the gym in those days, you'd have the bodybuilders that would work out in one side, and it was just just literally weights and dumbbells. And on the other side, you had the kind of real weightlifters, which these are the guys who did the Olympic lifting, and they would be, you know, they they would almost be seen as a sort of a higher level than the bodybuilders because they took it seriously. And I remember looking at the weights that they were using, and they had Poland written on the side. And and it just came and this idea came into my head, and I, I went back to my father that evening, who's who's Polish, and I said, look, do you think? have we got any relatives that are, st- that are in Poland? Because I've got this idea for a business. Um, you know, if you could find out where they make these weight plates, then I can, you know, you can, we can bring them into England and I can go and knock on doors on gyms and sell them because every gym has weight plates. And and that was really my very high-level, sophisticated business plan. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and my dad sort of seemed to think it was a good idea as well. So he, you know, I remember every evening he would be on the phone, brushing up on his Polish because he, he, you know, he didn't need to speak to it. So he's learning all these sort of technical words and calling people. And uh, we we did that for a long time. And eventually, I think he found a factory, which we went over to see, managed to locate where they made these these plates. And we started to bring them into England. And although there was a long process in between, actually, you know, that idea and making money, that, that was really how we how we started our business.
0: It's a nice story, and and um, there's, there's one thing that I, I think I missed in there. What did you feel was the need for those plates? Why did you feel that there was a need for them?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think at the time, like now as now as I've been I've I've been in business for you know quite quite a number of years now, and as, as I've gone through you you sort of get these questions that you would ask. You know, if if someone comes to us with a new product idea or an opportunity, then you kind of have this quite scientific way of of, of analyzing what works and what doesn't and what you should do. And, but at the time it was purely a case of, we had this idea, we wanted to do a business. I loved gyms and weightlifting. Um, I, I thought that the stuff that was sold into gyms was made in Poland, which my dad had a passion for doing some business with. And and that was it. So it we, you know, I didn't really, think of um am i solving a need it was it was purely a passion product where i thought you know if i can if i can find out where these make these then i i've got an excuse to stop doing what i'm doing and not you know start talking to gym owners and hang around in gyms and do something that i really really wanted so i I suppose you know what i should have done and what i would do now is to say well is there really a big market for it how big is the market um and you know that that kind of came later and just fortunately it was you know we 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 picked on an industry that was uh, yeah. that was continuing to grow quite rapidly. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, you do you found success initially with that kind of that initial idea? Of getting you're getting
1: kind of getting your, the plates into the market. Yeah, we started off with with bumper plates, and, and at the time, it was if if you you know what we what we realised shortly after is that. Uh, bumper plates were you know they're they're suddenly very popular now you know within the last five years crossfit have made them extremely popular but if you think think about 10 years even 15 years ago you didn't see them in gyms so so we kind of i had this idea of bumper plates being what gyms needed but it actually wasn't and and going back when the business started just over 20 years ago the gyms were about sixty to seventy percent cardio. So, that, so, so, what you were doing is getting these new types of fitness centres that were almost like very cardio-based because at the time that was really what you needed to get in shape. So you'd have treadmills and bikes, um, you'd have machines, fixed machines, and then you'd have a really, really small freeway area because that wasn't popular. And in, in some of the clubs in England. They, you know they even thought that free weights were dangerous and members couldn't be left on their own. So some, some gyms at the time actually took the free weights out of the area. So, so we kind of came up with this idea that we thought was popular and, and you know we were almost like at a stage in the industry where it wasn't quite as popular as it needed to be. So we, we took the concept of making a disc which was a piece of steel with rubber around it and then we said, well actually we can if we put these make these discs smaller and put them together and put a bar in the middle we can create a dumbbell. So we we went from discs to, to dumbbells, and then people need racks and and you know over that period of time we've expanded into kind of a lot of different areas. And unfortunately, the direction that we started in is the direction that the industry moved, which is which is that you know using free weights and kettlebells and ropes and and bars, which which I started off you know 30 years ago when I you know that's the type of training I was doing back then. Hmm.
2: Now, do you work with the same manufacturer that you initially had reached out to, or are you have you since, uh, or even are they still around?
1: No, th- th- that, that things changed a lot. Yeah. So we we now own quite a few of our own okay. factories. So my my father is, is an engineer. So we yeah. we started, you know, buying them from different companies, and then we we outgrew those, and we found other companies, and we outgrew those, and then we we went out to Asia and went through the normal challenges of buying from. Asian com- companies, and then we decided to, 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 to sort of partner with, with someone, and we we set up our own manufacturing facility. Which again was a, wow. you know, thinking back, you know, about going into that is probably something we wouldn't have ever imagined doing. But it was it was a good move, and and you know, it kind of allowed us to be a little bit more self sufficient and in control of of, of of what we do, which which is important for our business.
0: So. Uh, I was sort of gonna put you on the spot with this question <laughs> or is that sort of a two two-part question and I'm maybe this would even change from day to day your response. But as an entrepreneur, what are sort of your I know this could be extensive, but what are the, the best tips that you can give aspiring entrepreneurs? And also I guess the second part, what were some mistakes that you made that you could that you could almost warn people about?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, h- how long you got? Uh, I, think, <laughs> I think I think I, I, I'll, I'll address the first one. Um, the, the first one first, I, I think, you know, in terms of uh, what was it? What, what kind of lessons? What, what were some of the what lessons? Was it? Uh, yeah, it's to...
0: it's um, I love the uh, one of my favorite uh, quotes from, from my favorite authors, uh, writers, uh, Oscar Wilde says that experience is the
1: name that we give to failure. So. <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah yeah and, that, and that, that that's very true i i think you know in terms of what, ex, what you know what what um advice or or experiences i've i've had um you know there's there's, there's many different things but I, I think the first you know if, if i was to narrow it down and and to to probably sort of focus on a few things that i guess most people don't realize when they're going into it and and uh, certainly in the you know, if you, if you look at where we are today with with um, the internet and um, you know a lot of the things you can read on social media or on YouTube about being able to be super successful in you know in, in sixty days or in six months or in one year and being able to drive around in a Lamborghini, I, I, I think you know I've I've met and interviewed a, a lot of people and, and, and that have been very successful and I've never met anyone that and, unless they happen to win the lottery or, you know, just we're in a very unique situation that, that, that that's happened to them. Uh, most of the people and even the ones that have succeeded on a massive level quite quickly have generally had a sort of a 10 year story that leads up to that moment of them having an overnight success. So I think the first thing that that people, particularly sort of younger uh, entrepreneurs that, that I, I speak to um is important that they realize is is that there's no such thing as as an overnight success and and you know getting into any kind of business um you know you've got to go into it with your eyes wide open and you've got to be prepared to work extremely hard um you've got to be prepared to, to to work without making a lot of money for for you know pretty decent amount of time and and you've you've got to be committed that whatever you know Comes in front of you to stop you, and, and there'll be lots of those things that, that you're going to continue to go through that and, and, and to be successful. So, I, I think the first thing is, you know, is, is the, you know, not 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 kind of being not not going into it to think that you're getting into business to make loads of money really really quickly and have a Lambo and 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 you know have that type of lifestyle because you know that that will come, but it, you know it's, it's, it's going to take a, some time. I think that's. I think that's probably the, the sort of first uh, and most important one that that people um, get a little bit sort of um, misguided on. I don't know whether you, you know, you, you've sort of heard or experienced that before at all. Oh sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, th- I think that's the first one, and then, and then the second one. You know, being an entrepreneur, it's it's, it's a lonely. It's a very lonely business. You know, you're most of the time, particularly when you're starting there is, you know, it's yourself, maybe one or two other people that that you get to come along and and help. You know, in my case, my mum used to help me out part time. You know, she would be, you know, there's four of us in the family and she would be doing a normal stuff and picking up the phone when it came and we get very excited that someone's on the phone. But I kind of have my mum doing it to make people think that we're a a bigger company and we, uh, you know, we had we had other people uh, other than myself so 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 you know it, it it is it's a it's a lonely process and and you've you've got to I, I think people need to spend that time on on their mindset because you know you come off the back of a small failure or lost order or dealing with the banks or cash flow or whatever and 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 you've got to be able to quickly pick yourself up mentally and um and, or you can you can spend a lot of time going through a, a very painful mental experience, which I've done as well. And and you know, but however you look at the situation, you know, affects how you feel. But the situation is is still as it is. And and you you can either deal with that situation in a positive, strong mental state, or you can deal with that situation in a sort of a rundown, beaten up, um, struggling mental state. And 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 the ability. To go through each one of those is you've got complete choice of which which mindset you 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 use to to assist you. So so being able to kind of you know have some time and to and, and and to be able to sort of you know almost train on your mind like you do with your body is an extremely important thing to do. And that's something that you know whatever stage of your business is something you is is really important to make that time and to and to be able to sort of look at things in the right way and from from the right mental perspective.
2: So now, with uh, I guess my question kind of piggybacks a little bit off of Justin's question, um, is when it comes to kind of bringing a fitness product to market, because I think everybody think, you know, everyone has a great idea and has something they want to get out there, and I think there's some great ideas that just fizzle out because people just don't do the right thing. There's some not-so-great ideas that do well because of whether it's marketing or, or, or timing, whatever the case is. So I guess… What, um, I guess, unique challenges maybe does the fitness industry present when bringing a, a product to market? And I guess, you know, what advice would you have on that? And I, a full disclosure, Justin and I are actually working on a product, so it'll definitely help us because we're kind of in the process of getting something together that we, we hope to get to market in the next year or so. So what advice do you have for us?
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, well, the first thing, as, as much as people think it's just about the idea or the product, you know that that's that's probably not really that relevant. Um, we we get people bringing to us. I, I would say, you know, on, every, on each week we'll probably have two or three different ideas that people bring to us, and they and some of them are pretty good ideas. You know, some of them some of them are awful and we'll never get anywhere. But uh, in a lot of cases, twenty percent of what we have in is is a decent idea. And, and so for a company like ours, we, we've probably got around about a thousand SKUs and, and out of those, there's, there's several hundred products within it. So we, we've got a lot of um, items that we, that we work with and, and it's really about picking the ones that you think are, are going to be successful. And, and so to, to kind of lead on, on to your question, I, I think, it, you, you've, yes, you've got to have a good idea the the product's got to be novel in, in some respect. Um, it's, it's got to have a reason for people to, to sort of look at you over someone else. So, so, you know, that does, does play a part. Um, the other thing that we look for is, um, how easy is it for, if it is a good idea and it, and it's successful, how easy is it for somebody else to do a version? Um, because unless you can, Protect it in some way, or you've got some very unique manufacturing capability, which is pretty rare these days. Um, or you've got a, a, a very unique way of, of packaging it. Then, and, unless you're able to get to market super quick, um, some, you know, you're going to have a bunch of these out there very, very quickly. Um, and we've we've been an experienced out many, many times. So, so you've got to you've got to have an interesting idea that's quite novel. You've got to be able to protect that idea because you could be the ones that, that go out, take it to market, show everybody how great it is. And then it's, oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to do mine. I'm already established in the industry and I can you know I can, I can sort of beat you to it. Um, and then then it's how to, you know, there, there's different types of products. You, you've got products, which I would say are things that people quickly understand. So let's say a kettlebell. You know, maybe you came up with a, kettlebell for the home that could be you know you could adjust the weight and you could change the handle and um you know there's a few funky things that you could do with it and but you know if if you if you spoke to someone about it and said i've got this funky kettlebell then it's an easy sell people know what a kettlebell is and and they're going to quickly jump on the back of it but if you've got this sort of crazy ab gizmo that people have never seen before and you have to you know, you have to work out with it in a unique way and there's a unique training system. Then then that's a lot more difficult to get people to to be able to buy it. You know that your, your marketing is, is going to be a lot more complex. Um, you've got to tell a story and explain the story. Um, it, you know, it's, it's good in some ways, because if you can make that work, then it's very difficult for people to probably imitate it as easily but it's it's a lot more difficult to to get it out to a lot of people and unless you're really good at you know social media or unless you can partner up with someone that's going to have the ability to get it out there very very quickly and tell that story um so i think those are the key things and then then beyond that you know looking at manufacturing then you know where are you making it what are the price points um is is it a price that people are prepared to pay um, are you going to be selling it direct, or are you going to be working through distributors? If you're working through distributors, is your margin structure right so that you know everybody can make the right amount of money from from the different product? Um, and and then you know I, I guess probably this should come a little bit sooner, but you know who is it you're selling to? Um, you know what's your what's your core audience and what markets? do you want to be selling it? Because that will affect the countries that you create your IP around. Creating IP is very, very expensive. Um, So, you know, if you want to do it in the US, that's fine. But then if you want to take it internationally and you believe there's an opportunity, then you're suddenly getting involved in a lot of money. And you kind of have to make those decisions fairly early on. So so I think uh, although we started our business totally different to that, uh, as we've got bigger, you know, you really want to think out where you want to be over, you know, probably the next three to five years and and get some of these things in place um and and it, you know i've i've really simplified it and shortened it there's certainly a lot to think about and if you know if anybody's got a product and wants some help and i'm, I'm you know i'm happy within reason to to be able to sort of you know maybe have a few you know a bit more detailed conversations with somebody uh, potentially
2: Cool. Uh, you had a captive audience there. That was, that was some <laughs> great, great advice. That is great <laughs> advice.
0: Uh, one detail about that—that that sort of that. Uh, well, there's actually so much in what you said that we've been worried about. We're certainly worrying about uh, uh, imitations because we feel like our our product um, is is we haven't found anything like it and it's very simple so we're just worried that if the second it goes on someone is just going to say oh well i can do this with one little change to it and you know we've been worried about you know we're working on patents and all that stuff so it's the whole thing is is a very daunting task uh, yeah. so that's certainly one thing we've been concerned about uh well another thing that we we've sort of also been uh, wondering and we'll have to pay you a, a consulting fee <laughs> <laughs> is um you, you talked about the the price and we've been wondering about the, the, the price point because we see certain items sold and we're like, that's a, a bunch of, uh, of cheap plastic colored red and they're selling it for $50 a pop. And then you see uh, items that might be in an infomercial or something like that that are significantly cheaper that look like they're better products. And so – I'm really curious as to how the the industry, fitness industry especially decides on the prices for their products because some are very cheap, but they charge a lot and some seem to be more and then seem to be reasonably priced.
1: Mm. there's There's uh, several different business models and you know depends on what market you're selling to. So if you are selling to the consumer market, it's it's a very high volume. Potentially low-margin business, depending on how the, the you know how many people are in the chain, and if you're selling into the commercial market, it's generally a lot lower volume. And the you know when in terms of support and warranties that you have to offer, um, you know you, you've got to have enough money in it to, to support them. So when people look at a product and say, oh, I've seen that on Alibaba or eBay or whatever," and, it, and I can buy it for like ten dollars or twenty dollars, and it's being sold for X. You know what, what? What you've got to realize is that a lot of there's a lot of other things that are built into those margins that sure. that um, you know people don't always take in for granted. So you know, just simple things like bringing it into the freight, for example, um, you know, freight is pretty expensive, and then when you get it in, you've you've got duties, and then you've got to warehouse the product. Um, then you potentially you may have some sort of reseller in between you if you know if you're just an importer a wholesale and then you could have a reseller that that maybe has a a store a bricks and mortar store or e-commerce store and they're doing ads so they want to make some money out of the product for example um you know you need to make sure that if if there is any issues or servicing you've you're able to look after the customer and supply it because if you are going to asia and you're not experienced which a lot of people who do it aren't then you know the some of the asian factories are not that great so you're going to have to be prepared to you know to, to pay for some of this out of your pocket because they won't necessarily support you so that so there are um a lot of things to take into consideration when making your pricing and and just because you've got it at a certain price and say well I, you know i only want to make 20 percent or something you, you you've got to i guess get with someone that kind of understands all the different elements that are in there otherwise you'll be selling Thousands of units, which which can happen, and then realise that you're not making any money, and it's very difficult then to go and suddenly put in a, a, a huge price increase um, if something like that 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 happens, and and that does happen regularly when you're buying from Asia. You know, material issues and um, shortages and and uh, you know oil prices, they all affect um, prices, and the factories will just put. You know, they they can put their prices up quite quickly. So you've got to make sure you're covered on that. And same, and also exchange rates. You know, they depending on where you're selling, the Chinese currency changes against the US dollar, and you and you've got to be thinking about that as well. So I guess there's no simple answer. But and and I, I don't know what products you're referring to, but you you've got to understand the model that you need to go to market you need someone to help you to understand all those different bits within the um, you know within your profit that you've got to take out and then then base the price accordingly and the other thing you're doing you know it's a if you are buying and selling products, it's you need a a lot of cash because you're Mm. pre paying for these products potentially before they even start production so by the time you've got it into your warehouse that could be 60 even 90 days potentially and then you need to sell it, so you could be another sixty or ninety days. So somebody's got to, unless you've got it yourself, lend you that money. And as we know, money's money's cheap, but it's not it's not free. So there's a yeah. few things to consider.
0: Wow, <laughs> it's really making me think about everything. Now, um, what do you think about Kickstarter and that whole crowd funding? concept. And do you think that it, I've heard that it devalues a product. Do you believe that? And what do you think about going the Kickstarter route?
1: Yeah, I've, I've personally, I've not been involved in it. So I'm, you know, I'm, uh, my, my knowledge is, is fairly limited for it. And I've, I've, I've spoke to people that have had success and I've spoke to people that haven't had success. So I, you know, I, I don't, no, totally. I, I guess that you know, if I was to do it, then it would be you know, if you want funding for a product, then you know, I would suggest look, you know, looking at people that you know, friends and family, which is an ob- obvious one, um, and um, you know, prop, if, you know, if you can get some, if you can get some sort of support from people that may have not just money to give you and then get pretty annoyed if they don't make the returns but if you can get a, some sort of partner maybe a small you know if it's if, if it's just a small product maybe a small company that's that's sort of in this business that that would be happy to get involved and you know you, you cut some sort of deal where they've got an interest and you've got an interest and you know if, if they've already been doing it then they can probably help you with a lot of the stuff that you're not going to know until you got into it and you've probably lost a lot of money you know that that's how you get your experience. You basically pay for it indirectly. So, so I, I would suggest probably, you know, maybe looking at other companies that that you have been recommended to that are that have got good reputations where you can sit down and say, like, you know, could could we potentially work together in somehow? I, I think that's probably in my mind more effective. But I I don't know enough about the platform, and I may not be doing it justice.
2: That sounds about right. I think from what you know, the kind of my own experience with it and what we've, you know, kind of what we've, I've researched as well. So now, um, I guess a question for you kind of as, as an entrepreneur, what lessons did bodybuilding teach you that transferred over to, to being an entrepreneur?
1: Um, well, in, in, in terms of, uh, there's probably a couple of different ways in, um, in, in terms of me personally, uh, I guess one of the stories, uh, that always sort of sticks with me really um, is that I was, I was training for a competition and I had a, I had a guy that was um, he, he was my, I suppose, inspirational one inspiration when I was younger, he was, you know, he was six foot two solid muscle ripped. He, he, he had the kind of body that I looked up to. And I, and, and when I first came in the gym, you know, he was the biggest guy in the gym. And I thought one day I want to train with him. I want him to be my training partner. and, and, as it happened, he was, and, um, and we started training together. His, his girlfriend was doing one of the physique, um, competitions. And I, I was, I was doing the junior. And, um, and so we, you know, we trained together until, until it was kind of getting quite, I can't remember exactly how far out, but it was in a quite an important part of my preparation. And he said, look, you know, we've got a, got a lot going on with my girlfriend and her um, competition, we're not going to, you know, I'm not going to be able to train with you now. And so years ago, I I didn't, couldn't afford a personal trainer. So, so your training partner was your motivation. They were the ones that just got you in the gym. You know, I'd finish work at seven and then I'd I'd go to the gym and it was cold and it was dark. And and so being used to always having a partner that was going to meet you there and, you know, get you to do those extra couple of reps was, you know, mentally, that's kind of what you needed when you was, you know, you wanted to win a competition so suddenly at that point not to have a training partner and knowing what your options are for the other people who who probably weren't going to push me as much as what this this person did you know i had to kind of really shift my mindset and i I remember going in the gym one evening and it it was a terrible workout and um and i thought (laughs) you know i'm gonna have to do something about this i'm gonna have to work out a way of, of you know getting myself engaged without a partner. I'm going to just have to, have to accept that. And, and I, I you know, I went back and, and, and thought it through and, and, and I, it was that that point where I sort of made the decision that look, I don't need a training partner. I, I can do it on my own. And, um, you know, if, if someone wants to jump in with me, great, but I'm, I'm going to create that level of motivation, uh, from inside of me to push myself just as hard as, as I had somebody externally to, to, to push me. And, um, and, and, and I, th- I think in business, it, it's, it's very similar. You know, as an entrepreneur, no one's there telling you, you know, do one more rep, you know, do that a little bit better, push that a little bit better. Um, you know, you don't got a boss uh, or anybody to tell you to do that. So so if you want to be the best in, in, in your business, if you want to be a market leader and, you know, be the most successful company you can be, then you have to be your own internal, I guess, t- coach or training partner. You have to be saying, right, come on, one more rep, you know, just push it. And, and and I guess that's you know it's probably one of the one of the big lessons I got from from bodybuilding and you know e- even to this day um, in our brand manual on the back we've got a, the statement is is literally one more rep that's that's on the back of our mm. back of our brand manual and it and it just really means okay when everybody else thinks they're finished we're going to do one more and and not, not because anyone's telling you you know because you're doing it because nobody's looking you, you know you're doing it off off your own back.
2: Cool. So now, can you tell us, I know you talked a little bit about it, but can you tell us a little bit more, a little bit about your business now? Has it evolved um, to the current day? And are there any interesting, cool new products that, that you, you've got or products or projects that you might
1: have um, going on? Yeah. So we, we started, as I said, we started in a spare bedroom. We didn't, very similar to, to probably you guys. I, I I was doing it with my, with my dad as opposed to a uh, you know, like you guys, a couple couple of mates. And so we started with a spare bedroom and, and we didn't have any we didn't have any finance because the banks wouldn't lend us money because it was a bit of a crazy idea. We didn't have a brand, no reputation, no contacts in the industry. We just had a lot of passion. And and so I always say when when I'm doing presentations, you know, that can get you quite a long way. You know, if you're if you've got that passion and you really want to do it, then regardless of all the other stuff I've said you know, I, we, we certainly demonstrated it, it can make it work. And we, we went from, you know, spare bedroom to where we are today. We, we we have distribution in 80 countries around the world. We have four direct offices. So we, we have office and warehouse in, in England, just north of London. Uh, we're in uh, Zost in, near Dortmund in Germany, office and warehouse. We're in uh, Bangkok in Thailand. And then we're in the um, same sort of sit, uh, situation in Cincinnati in the United States. So we have our own offices and then we have distribution. And we probably... I think we're probably the biggest in our category at the moment in the, in the commercial fitness space. And most of the major fitness brands that you're aware of will, you know, we, we work with most of those and have done for a, for a number of years. So I, I guess, you know, very, very proud of that and very proud that you'll see our products in a lot of places. I, I guess one of the key things that you'll see is if, is, is we do these big, big colorful tires um, that you can do lifts and flips and farmer's walks and that kind of thing. Um, but, but, Generally, as a company, we're we're about innovation and, and, you know, I'm excited about products and I'm always looking for new, exciting or creative ways to motivate people to want to work out. Because working out isn't easy, as you know, as we all know, Um, you know, sometimes even if you're super committed and you've been doing it as long as I have, there's times where it's like, oh, you know. I'm going to struggle to get in the gym today. But you do it because it's it's part of who you are. But I always imagine a lot of the people that have not been doing it that long and maybe a little bit overweight and out of shape and feel, you know, feel uncomfortable walking in the gym. And so for me, it's about how we can motivate those to be the best that they can be. You know, how we can create the products so they look fun, so they're colorful, so they're easy to use, so they're exciting. And, and take, take that workout experience from being – something that's painful to do that they don't enjoy to when they come out think that was brilliant I enjoyed that I loved it and so that's kind of how we think about products and um yeah like to pick one out would be quite difficult I guess it's like picking your best child <laughs> but we've if you if you check if you go on our website which is escapefitness.com you can kind of see a lot of the stuff that we do
0: awesome wow and um tell us about the podcast how did you get into that
1: um, well, we—I uh, I had a friend who um, who has a podcast called the Disruptive Entrepreneur, and uh, he um, he had been doing it for about two couple of years when when we started talking about it. And um, he, he, you know, we had the conversation. I was a guest on his one, and he said, "Look, you know, you you really should think about this because it's a great way of um, it's a great way of meeting people. Uh, it, it, it's it's a great way of." Sharing your thoughts, your ideas, and your experience, and I I, I thought about it for a while. And it took me a year of of just running it through my mind, and then I was I was out. I was in Portugal um, on New Year's Day, thinking, going for a run, thinking through my goals, and and I said, right, you know, before the end of the year, I'm, I'm going to have a podcast, and and the the, the 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 drive behind it for me was to to think of myself as a you know when I was a, a teenager, not really knowing. What I wanted to do, and not really where I was brought up, there was not really people around me that were inspirational. Um, you know, it was a I, I never, when I was younger, I never wanted for anything. But I also, you know, most people who lived around me didn't have anything either. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't a problem. But there was just no, nobody had any any sort of money or success. So there was no there was no role models for me to say I want to be like this person. And as I got older, I started to travel and 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 were were more inspired and and believed that you know different things were possible and and so with a podcast it was like well if I, I you know what what would have been great for me at that age was to hear about other people that had probably been on my journey that had, that had done the extraordinary that have gone on a path and and understood what they were thinking about and what they you know what some of the steps they took and how they achieved and what's what went wrong and. And and just to kind of make it seem as though it's normal, because if you've never done it before, you don't understand this stuff. You don't know that you're going to fail a lot and you don't know it's going to be difficult and you don't know how long it's going to take. So it was really just to, to, you know, number one, to to give people inspiration. And and certainly since we've done it, we've had a lot of people that have jacked in their jobs and started their businesses because they've been inspired by other people. And then the second thing is, as you know, in my sort of position in the company, I do travel a lot. Um, You know, most months I'm in another place or country around the world and and I I get to meet a lot of people and I I thought, you know, how can I make more value out of the time I'm spending away from from my family? And and so it was really to say, look, you know, if I'm having a meeting, if I'm meeting a, a great fitness leader or an inspiring person, then okay, let's have the business conversation, but let's also, you know, let's share your knowledge and and let's record that and and let's sort of amplify that out to Thousands of people and and so that was a way of me really thinking about well making the most of the time you know, short time that I have um, You know providing value back to people telling a bit of a story as, as well as doing you know what I what I do as My job on a day-to-day basis well, That's great.
2: So, um, where can people find you like what's the best do you, do you use social media? Um, through the website like what's the best way for people to find get in touch with you? Um, find out more about you your podcast the your company?
1: Yeah. So if you, um, our our podcast is called Escape Your Limits. Uh, you can go to iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher. Um, so that's, that's one place. Um, you can, you know, keep up to date with what we do and, and, you know, some fun stuff on, on Instagram, uh, which is just my name, Matthew Januzek. Um, uh, LinkedIn tends to be a little bit more business focused. Um, so I, you know, if, if it's sort of the professional side of, of what I do, then, uh, You know, my name again, Matthew Janizek on on LinkedIn. And then if you want to find more about Escape Fitness itself, um, it's escapefitness.com and we've got newsletters and we, you know, we give away a ton of free stuff and there's a lot of free workout videos and information on on YouTube that we, uh, you know, we put out on a fairly regular basis.
0: Awesome. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for coming on The Gym Woods and certainly if uh, you're looking for a couple of guests for for uh, the Escape Your Limits podcast, know I'm sure we could have uh, many other awesome conversations.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> well, it's been uh, it's been very enjoyable. Um, got me thinking about stuff I've not <laughs> thought about for a number of years. So I, I appreciate your time, and um, you know, yes. best thank of luck with too. everything that you're doing. Awesome, thank you. We appreciate thank you. it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye.
2: Yeah, so it was, it was really cool. Like, like I said, it, kind of we we were working on our own stuff that we brought up a couple times, and so kind of get like, had a captive audience for some of that, and it was really good advice. I think we've had interviews in the past um, where we'll ask people things, whether you know, not whether it's for us or just in general, because we're doing interviews, and we got to ask questions, and you'll get some people where they they're like. Vague and they it's almost like they don't want to give away their secrets and uh, you know, I think Matthew was really generous um, with his yeah. information and sharing um, But again, as I mentioned earlier, I'm in a rush uh, <laughs> So I got to get out of here, uh, which means we're not gonna do any banter or much of a close beyond that because um, you you kept me here Later than well, look. The, the interview was so good that I think it, it, it <laughs> he, holds, its, it he's holds lying. its own. It's been an, like an hour since the interview. No, we just we had some stuff we had to, we had to take care of and, and uh, calls and stuff. And so, you know, sometimes this stuff gets like scattered you're, you're all breaking, over the you're, place. You're breaking the I'm breaking uh, the fourth wall. Fourth wall. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, um, bulldozing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. We're serious. <laughs> well, as usual. Uh, Well, all of our stuff is at thegymwits.com Our social media, all that good stuff I'm Ryan George I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic Reminding you that truth does not sell And we are the Gym Wits